the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Comfort of every, the great comfort of every, the great comfort of every radio host is hearing that top of the hour intro music from Van Halen and looking at the production studio and not seeing a producer in his seat with his hands folded, ready to engineer the show. Panic sets in, but fear not, he's here now. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Were we interrupting something? Logs. Welcome back to my dear friend, Hugh Holman. It is a thrill and an honor to be here, Seth. Former mayor of Tempe, attorney, educator. We do COVID every third hour Tuesday here with Hugh and sometimes his son, Lewis, who's just not with us today. We'll be back next week. And uh, we do other things, politics, policy, uh, you name it. Uh, so let me give out the number if you want to speak with the Honorable Mr. Holman, 602 is that number. What do we know on the COVID front? And then we have a bunch of other stuff we got to get to. But what do we know on COVID? Since it is my stock and trade, I'm talking COVID very quickly without Lewis. Uh, did the numbers uh, briefly and uh, have to alert the Arizona Republic that, in fact, the hospitals are still full. That we have uh, within our hospitals approximately 86% of the beds filled, but only uh, at this stage now 22% of them are COVID patients. 63% of them are non-COVID patients and uh, about 14% open. On the uh, uh, That's in ICUs. In inpatient beds, um, isn't that something? 63% of the ICU beds are filled with something other than COVID, with 22% at COVID. And uh, the IP beds, the in, in, inpatient beds, are only 14% COVID, but 72% non-COVID. That's right. We're still at 85% beds filled. And it's not a headline anymore. And more interestingly... That's uh, so interesting. It, it, you know, when 85% of the beds were filled and there was some of it COVID, it's a headline. They're 85% correct. filled. It's it's a very privileged disease, isn't it? It is indeed. And, and in fact, my favorite was February 25th was the high watermark of fill these days. It was right at 90, a little over 90% filled. Only 16% of those were COVID patients and no headline. So, in fact, hospitals are not shutting down. Workers are not overworked. Uh, our healthcare professionals are not dropping uh, uh, off uh, at the switch uh, from exhaustion, notwithstanding the fact that hospital beds are still 90% full. Joe Biden, I didn't know this. He's been president 39 days. Do you realize he hasn't given a solo press conference in 41 days? He has not. I, that's that's got to be a first. That's got to be a first for a president. No that's, solo press conference since he's been president. Uh, well, except that Barack Obama did not do very many press conferences. But he did at one all. in the first two months. Well, let's find out. I, I don't the have that answer. Detroit. I don't have that answer. That having been said, he occasionally takes a shouted question. And he was asked walking off stage today by a shouted question When will we return to normal? He said maybe this time next year. He's hesitant to give us a specific date, which I do understand, but in part. But 
What does it say to you when we're thinking another year of this? Well, I would actually say maybe he took the question personally and when will he return to normal? And that was his best answer. And I would have said in his case, never. But, you know, uh, uh, that's the best I can say. The, I'd say go to Texas and find out. God that, bless Texas. That's correct. Well, Arizona's doing pretty yeah. darn well as well. Yeah. So uh, I had the privilege just last night to give you a, a sense of things. I was with 30 people last night, uh, socially distanced, uh, because we were at different tables. But almost all of them were from Seattle or Portland. Oh, yeah. This would uh, have been a different world for them. There were two of us yeah. from Arizona, three of us total, actually. And they were stunned yeah. that not only could we be served food in an environment, but that most people were. And I was asked straight up question. So have have you all been doing this for, say, the last 90 days? And I said, actually, since June. Yeah. Did, were they worried about our lack of uh – what would I say? Were they worried about our blitheness over it? Did they no. think we were too unserious about I, it? I think what they have suffered through, especially people in Portland, and that was the gist of the conversation was how horrible uh, life now is in Portland, Oregon, that a city that was at the cutting edge, cool, interesting, yeah. fun, yeah. is losing population, is devastated, and they were bemoaning the fact that the, the terror that we've talked about on this show a few times, and I've reported about from there, um, that the terror that had taken place was limited to about a six-block area. That is actually true. I toured the whole thing on three occasions now to sort of take a look, and it's not particularly widespread, but the mindset is my widespread. The uh, the everything matters, uh, gnashing of teeth, right. rending of garments, uh, graffiti concerns. So my wife and I were in Portland a week ago, and we dined at a restaurant in the downtown, and we were about it and watched the homeless m- moving about the city. That was the population that was remaining in town. And everything else is rolled up, and and uh, there is uh, plywood covering windows in every block, and uh, carefully placed posters uh, that effectively decry, don't break my windows because I'm on the right side of your issue. And so you can imagine what posters were posted. Seriously? Yeah, I mean, literally, they had, they had posters that said this. No, they had posters that said the right things. Oh, so oh, okay. they were communicating oh, that okay. since they're on the right side of the issue, their windows there, should not be this, broken. This, this did occur in America not so long ago in the in the in the '90s before Giuliani was mayor in New York. People put signs in their cars saying "No stereo." Yeah, no, that, right? absolutely. They were negotiating right. with the terrorists. That's exactly right. Speak, yeah. That's exactly right. And so, with these people, these twenty-seven, I guess, if I do the count right, folks who had come from Seattle and Portland. They were relieved. They were not anxious. They were grateful to be here, dining outside, uh, being served food in a restaurant, more or less, uh, and were thrilled. They they were had come down here specifically to look at projects that they could work on because things are so devastated in Washington State and, and Oregon. I have to tell you, I think I know their feeling, and I'll tell you how I think I know what they felt when they came here, I'm guessing, but I think... And it's when restaurants first opened up here. Do you remember? A sense of wonder. Well, it was that. You go. I went on the first day I could to a restaurant that was opened, and there weren't that many other people there. And it felt like a furtive and illegal activity. 
that I was sitting there. It felt like the you were act- in a speakeasy. Yes, somebody opened right. the door in, or the it, window in the middle of the it, door and let you in, and it, you said the right password. It felt like I was doing something wrong. This is what the society has done to us. We were made to feel like wrong people for going to a restaurant for the most normal thing that we take for granted. And exercising, again, as you we, you make fun of me because I do wear the mask, and the answer is I make all kinds of choices to limit my own liberty or not. But the it burden, felt like a subversive activity exactly. going to a restaurant, the though. Burden, That's what they did to us. The burden we are all feeling from normal activities, and my wife's response, because we were in Oregon for five days, was, I am so glad we're from Arizona. I am so glad we live in Arizona. And that just repeating that because the devastation that that society has felt and the sense of being cowed that everyone wanders about with is extraordinary. And to uh, as many people who have complained as I have even about the governor's actions that he has not controlled his uh, State Department of Health Services all that well, that the governor ultimately, I think, should be applauded for handling things more smoothly after June. I agree I think with that. early on he had some troubles and he was uh, being pushed about and did not exercise a, his own authority and sense of... He did better than he sounded. Is that a fair way to say it? Um, yes. <laughs> no, really. I mean, he did better. His actions were better than they appeared if you listened. Correct. He did not have mastery of the facts and was not able to do an Andrew Cuomo right. uh, press conference... Right. And whose words were much more beautiful than the facts. That's correct. Right. We know that right. now right. really clearly right. to be the case. And what was going on in New York, which we decried uh, Worst frequently. Worst are full of passionate intensity and the best lacked all conviction, one might say. Very well done. Comparing Ducey to Cuomo. Yes, indeed. He's That's al- exactly right. He's also right. in possession of his faculties, Ducey. Yes, Republicans aren't yelling at him to resign. It's an interesting well, that's thing. Because he, he, no, but he this hasn't. is interesting, Hugh. You're, a, you're an epistemologist. Democrats are now calling on Andrew Cuomo to resign in New York, but it wasn't the thousands of deaths he's responsible for by sending right, it's elder the people. Piece. It's, the, it's, 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 it's the sexual harassment. Correct. That's an interesting thing. I don't know what to do with that. Uh, well, I find it to be outrageous that we now have – uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, and Chris Cuomo caught in the news because Chris is suddenly going silent about his brother's behavior when he was all too happy yeah, we talk to drag him that. across the press. And so, yeah, when we come back, yeah, let's let's, let's get into it. Yeah, yeah, listen to you. You know the radio business now. Do I? Well, I have a face for radio. On the other radio. side of this break, we, we'll be right back. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Don't you miss restaurants with lobster tanks? I miss restaurants with music. With music and lobster tanks. Good music and lobster tanks. Yes, if you can have both. There's your perfect restaurant, lobster tank and and music. You should start one. (laughs) Welcome back. Hugh Hallman is my guest in studio, 602-508-0960. I'm happy to talk about anything you want. COVID is uh, Hugh's... um, and my stock and trade on uh, Third Hour Tuesdays, but anything is fine. Hugh had made mention, you had made mention of how interesting it is, CNN's posture with Governor Andrew Cuomo now, given that they did everything they could to elevate him when on the surface he was flying high, but underneath uh, there was a a pretty bad iceberg. So listen to this. Chris Cuomo opened his show last night this way. Listen to this. 
Before we start tonight, uh, let me say something that I'm sure is very obvious to you who watch my show. And thank you for that. You're straight with me. I'll be straight with you. Obviously, I'm aware of what's going on with my brother. And obviously, I cannot cover it because he is my brother. Now, of course, CNN has to cover it. They have covered it extensively, and they will continue to do so. Stop. Not one sentence was true. Nothing he said was true. You're straight with me. I'll be straight with you. I don't know what that means. It's whatever. But CNN has covered this extensively. It's a crock of baloney. It's a country crock of baloney. CNN will will cover this extensively. Go to their website today. It's the sixth story down, and it's in an opinion in very small font. They're not covering this story. Third, obviously I can't cover it because he's my brother. Where was that rule when his brother's ratings were high? Obviously, I can cover my brother when everything's good and dandy and the sun is shining. The fact is he shouldn't have been then. It's not that he should be doing it now. It's that he shouldn't have been doing it then and helping to give his brother those high numbers that were evidently totally undeserved. As we know, he hid deaths that were caused because he made a decision to require nursing homes to take COVID-positive senior patients into their midst and contaminate everyone else. One of the dumbest policy decisions made during this entire pandemic. Uh, that that Chris Cuomo then helped rehabilitate uh, that part of the right. problem right. by dragging his brother uh, onto the show on regular occasion mm-hmm. uh, to laugh uh, it up. air him out, yep. laugh it up yep. while seniors were dying in New York through the brother's decision, through Andrew Cuomo's decision. Uh, it was breathless Chris Cuomo who was saying things at the early stages that he clearly didn't understand when he said, for example, 80 percent of the people who get this virus won't even know they have it and didn't recognize that that's what would undermine the entire credibility of arguing that these have mortality rates that are out uh, uh, off the off the charts. The answer is if you include everyone who's infected, who you just declared, you wouldn't know. You divide by five the mortality rate, and suddenly you have something that is much more manageable. But that wouldn't have been uh, part of uh, a recall where we were, a, a narrative that that pushed hard to shut down the most successful economy in human history at that moment in time. That was the responsible uh, responsibility and the result of policies put in place by a president that they all hated. Right. So destroy the economy as part of this narrative. Do it with a, a narrative about a disease that nobody can control. Whipsaw the president over the fact that he's a he's a bigot and a racist because he doesn't want people coming from China hang out in New York City's Chinatown and say how racist Donald Trump is and, and then start Chinatown, everything's fine. Yes. Yeah. And then then turn around and a month later say that the entire economy has got to be shut down because this disease is rampant and killing off everyone left and right, except in New York, because Andrew Crone was a wonderful human being. Uh, all of that is just nonsense. And so. I'm more puzzled. He wrote a book about how good he was, and he won an Emmy for it. That's correct. And what's more puzzling to me is we're now seeing outrage by even the New York Times that Chris Cuomo uh, properly uh, should not be covering his brother. That outrage didn't exist seven months ago by the New York Times. And the only reason I think that they're having to cover that is because it's not about deaths in nursing homes caused by Andrew Cuomo. It's about the fact that he may have sexually harassed uh, individuals, and they're now speaking out about it. 
so that yeah, let me return to that because I, I I'm not sure I fully understand the uh, the ethic of our time, the Weltanschauung, if I can. Why is the sexual harassment of three women more damaging to a governor than the death of eight thousand people wrongly? Because of Do that the now. Me Too movement Do a year now. ago. Okay. And that is that is now a third rail of politics. Um, you you apparently can cause deaths of uh, ten thousand people through a silly policy choice, and uh, the real matter is, and I'm not disputing that that's an important right, thing. Right. You've got uh, women in this society who've put up with too much for too long, yeah. and the irony is they've put up with too much for too long by people like. Andrew Cuomo. Right. That's and Ted Bill Kennedy, Andrew Clinton. Cuomo, Bill Clinton. There's just a common th- – Harvey Weinstein, there's a thread here that's weird. Do you remember this little stink early in the Trump administration when Mike Pence made the statement and roughly close to, I won't have a meal alone with a woman, not my wife, and the feminists went nuts about how disrespectful that was? Turns out it's not conservatives who have these problems. Well, and, and – Turns I, out by and large – it's those who – In a conversation this morning, uh, uh, a well friend well. pointed out the problem that Mr. Cuomo is having and he said, you know, how did you handle that sort of thing as mayor? And the answer was I did my best not to be in private spaces yeah, or I think public it's a good spaces. Role. It's just a good um, rule. Because as a politician who is from the conservative side, lots of people wanted to get at me in any way they could and – I, I joked about the fact that uh, every photograph that I took with anyone, male or female, my colleagues are, uh, behind me on the dais would see my arms stretched sure. way back behind me sure. so that I could never be accused of having inappropriately touched anyone. Right. And um, those are the kinds of steps one now has to take. Well, in I think it's life. okay. I when I ran a big institution many years ago in D.C., I made a rule that any um, male-female professional meetings had to be in offices with windows with the blinds open. If they didn't have a window, find one or leave the door open. And they said, "Aren't you just thinking the worst of humanity?" I said, "Well, let me tell you something." Locks keep thieves honest, but more importantly, I just think I just think it makes honestly it may make the female feel more comfortable for all of those reasons. And uh, not I, I don't think it's pejorative or, or talking down to anybody about trying to protect everyone's interests, right. and it can be done. Right. So I wear a mask, and you make sure the windows are open. So because I have the smartest audience that weighs in on the most lofty of issues, one Susan in Scottsdale emailed, Papados has a lobster tank. Now they have to work on crowdsource anything in this. (laughs) Now where can I find Sasquatch? Susan will have to get you another. 602-508-0960. A lot more coming up. We'll be right back. Well, Hugh Holman, I have to tell you, it's a luxuriously non-racist country that has to go after Dr. Seuss to prove its systemic racism. I was conjuring up the image of a city councilman in Darfur, which really does know what racist problems can exist as you think about the hundreds of thousands of people in a place like that that had these fights between the Arabs and the black populations there. And if some enlightened member of the 
city council of Darfur said we're going to go to America for a fact-finding mission because we're told they're a systemically racist country, but they, they tend to deal with things pretty well. At least they're a first-world country. Let's go to America and find out how to deal with race problems. And if they got here and said, what's the issue you're dealing with race-wise this week or this month? And someone said to them, well, we're, we're banning Dr. Seuss. They'd go back and realize we don't know what racism is. I think most people look at this and say they don't know what racism is. This is an insult and an assault. On educate, you're an educator. Years ago, you, you know how the whole Dr. Seuss franchise came about? Bennett Cerf was fascinated by a study out of Columbia Teachers College, Why Johnny Can't Read, the thesis of which was because we weren't teaching phonics and children weren't able to learn and process words other than through memorization, which has its own uses, but is not the best way, it turns out, to study and learn language. So he challenged Theodore Geisel to do these books. Cat in the Hat became one of them. And then they created this whole industry. You may have some of these. You may remember these little children's books with the, up in the little corner, a picture of the cat in the hat said it's an I can read book because it was developed using and teaching those phonics. Theodore Geisel did more for literacy in this country than all these woke social warriors combined. And they say because his non-human creatures have supremacist themes. I can't find a one. I can't. It is a luxurious country of non-racists that has to find high and low Dr. Seuss to prove by banning him we will be an enlightened society. I'm more, I, I think it's, it's a bad joke in a sick society that does this. Correct. Well, we are a, a very wealthy society that's doing all kinds of crazy things, wasting lots of resources uh, that when uh, I look around the world and do the work I do, I am reminded that money is fungible, meaning you can trade a dollar for another one, but it ain't unlimited. And every dollar you waste or every bit of effort you waste on these kinds of ridiculous results means that you cannot do something that's meaningful. And in the COVID situation, we've talked about the fact that the U.S. sneezed, got a cold and sneezed, and the rest of the world's got pneumonia. A hundred million people are pushed back into a, pushed back into extreme poverty. They'd made it out because of the economy of this world has grown so well in the last decade. And now they're pushed back to survive on something less than $2 a day. Yep. I just wonder, in terms of the Dr. Seuss piece of this, that if we're going to waste these resources, how is Jesse Jackson going to take back the fact that he read Green Eggs and Ham live right. on Saturday Night Live? Right. Are they going to try to expunge that from the record and go sweep the entire Internet of uh, one of the great performances of Green Eggs and Ham? I don't know. It's interesting. You do have these problems because – the Obamas, both of them, while they were in the White House, praised Dr. Seuss. And that's Michelle read on, uh, on regular right. occasion. I did, too. As a mayor, right. I went to school sure. right. for eight years. I went out to the schools on the uh, American Read Day and read yeah. Dr. Seuss of books. Of course. My very first book was Horton Hears a Who. I still have it. Uh -huh. um, and so it's quite sad to me that we're, we're facing this kind of idiocy. Well, it is 1984. It is memory whole. It is rewriting history. It is... Um, <sighs> It's it's so it's the power of the left that I was talking earlier with someone, David Schweikert, it was, and I was saying, you know, we're, over the last year, the challenge a lot of us had, a lot of uh, we conservatives had, was to try and explain to people the theory of the theoretical problems of socialism, the theoretical problems of what happens when the left takes power, and it's hard to prove the theoretical until you get the actual, and now we have the actual. 
they are drunk with power. And one hopes this country is still sane enough to turn it out now that they're living with it. It's one thing to prove to try and prove the theoretical. It's one thing to give them the actual. They are now going to live with leftist socialism for at least another two years. They may turn out to hate it. I hope they do. But it'll be easier to prove. And Does that make the, sense? Yes, it is. And the basis of the turn is that the folks drunk with power fail to recognize what I think we recognize. Yes, it is true that Donald Trump lost the presidency. But in fact, the Democrats lost seats in Congress. Yep. It is now 221 to 211 yep. with three vacancies at the moment. And that ain't much of a margin. No, it's, it may be the smallest margin in 50 or 60 years, actually, of a majority I, I think party. that might be. It might be. And uh, so as they push too many buttons too far, my hope is that uh, the folks in the middle will wake up and decide that they need to uh, choose people who respect their liberty a little bit more. I'm Seth Leibson. He is Hugh Hallman, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Portions of the show are brought to you by Balance of Nature, the most favorite product I've ever used or endorsed. It is the most effective fruit and vegetable supplement on the market, not even supplement because it is using the cold process that they've developed, taking real fruits and vegetables and reducing their nutrients into vegetarian capsules. Powerful, potent stuff like cherries, mangoes and oranges, spinach, cayenne pepper, kale, wheatgrass, and you get tens of thousands of vital nutrients with just one daily dose. Improve your health and boost your immunity with Balance of Nature. I don't know anyone who's taken it, including friends and family I've given it to, that doesn't love it as much as I do. And they're making it easy for you to get right now with free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code BALANCE. Balance of Nature, it's good and good for you. Good for you because it boosts your health and your immunity, and it's good to buy from them because they support this show. Uh, visiting with uh, Hugh Hallman in the office, let's go to calls. Tim's in Peoria. Hi, Tim. You're on with uh, me and Hugh Hallman. Hey, Seth. How are you, sir? Doing great. How are you? I'm getting a two-for-one right now yeah. with respect to um, my question to about education in the state of Arizona. But you mentioned David Schweikert and your conversation with him. And I just want to really quickly, if I could give your audience a humanistic view of any and all Congress people out there. Three years ago, I saw, I met David Schweiker in the garage of Terminal 4 at Sky Harbor, and there he was at 9.30 at night with a flat tire on his truck looking for help, and there was no help in sight. And I said, you know, Mr. Schweiker, I could give you a ride home. He goes, no, no, that would be uh, beyond the, uh, beyond what I would expect from anybody, uh, you know, constituent otherwise. And I just thought it was really cool, and I know that I'm an older person, but it was still really cool to see a person like David Schweiker, you know, the people that we think are the elitists of the world, uh, with a flat tire, suffering the same way that I would have. Some, 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 some can walk with kings and princes and not lose the common touch, as Rudyard Kipling said. Some can. And that's why I listen to you, Seth. 
Um, well, no, so, I no, I really do. I got to tell you, we no, are. No, no, I do. David really is 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 a very easygoing guy, very easy to get really to know. Is. Andy is. We're blessed with some of that in Arizona. We really are. We really are. We really anyway, are, it's a nice I, memory. That's yeah. a nice story. Yeah, really cool stuff. But in any so you event, left him there. Uh, you didn't help him. You just stranded him. And well, no. Walked off happily. A, walked off. Went issue, to a restaurant with a lobster tank. Took care of your own yeah. needs. Yeah. I did do that, but I did ask the security <laughs> personnel to go back to him. And when the security guy said, why should I go back to that guy? I said, well, it is David Schweikert. He is a congressman at the, in the House of Representatives. And, the, and his, his ears did peak up. So there was a little bit of elitism in there because I know that he responded to him uh, with, it, with uh, due diligence. In any event, the state of Arizona and the hiding of curriculum from parents, we all know it happens. But specifically in my district, the Peoria School District has decided to not allow parents access to a piece of curriculum in history classes in the high school uh, realm that has to do with discrimination. They have traded one element of uh, teaching of history with the teaching, uh, having a lesson having to do with discrimination as it uh, as it. You may have hit the mute button. As it, as it what, Tim? Oh, we just, you cut out for a second. As it what? Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Tim's got a call coming in that's interrupting his... Uh, no, right. As it what? Uh, yeah, I, I'm famous. So um, discrimination, lessons of discrimination as it applies to American history, ah, okay. as if that is our the founding of our country. It's not the 1619 Project that they're hiding in the Peoria School District, but I do know, and the Daily Independent highlighted a story this morning, that's made its, made its way around, you know, through social media. But the, the, the district is not allowing parents access to the curriculum. Okay. As a former school teacher, I find this to be a problem. And, you know, as always, I know that you are an education wonk. So I'd like to hear your, I'll tell you uh, everything insight. I know in one sentence about your issue, then I'm going to turn it over to Hugh Hallman, who really is someone who knows this issue inside he really and out. Is. He really is. He's developed schools. He's built them. He runs them. Everything I know about education reform and parents is this. A school that is afraid of and doesn't want access and help from parents is a failed school. That's everything I know about parents and education. I don't know if Hugh agrees, but the microphone I is yours, Hugh. Uh, it's ab- Tim, thank you for the call. It is absolutely Thanks, uh, essential that school districts provide their parents with access to their kids' curriculum. Uh, I, I don't doubt what you're telling me is true, and now I've got to go find out who on earth at the Peoria School District decided that that's a good policy? All it does is pour gasoline on already fractured uh, relationships between parents and teachers in an environment in which we have had a huge number of teachers refusing to go back into classrooms. I do not bear any ill will to teachers who are concerned about their own health and could participate in creating the opportunity for students to learn, even if they have to do it at a distance. But going back to our sort of COVID specialty here, in the state of Arizona, there are fewer than 20 deaths of people 20 years or 26 deaths uh, in people 20 years and younger. 0.1% of all deaths, 27 deaths actually, um, most of which are actually above 18. And here we have the continuous drumbeat that schools are unsafe, and yet it is clear that it's not unsafe for the students. We can take care of teachers. We haven't done that yet. And now to have a school district doing something this bizarre, uh, 
adding difficulty to this environment is crazy to me. So now uh, I can at least tell you, Tim, I'll go find out and uh, see who I might know that I could call and say, this is nuts. And maybe it's their concern and embarrassed about whatever it is that they're pursuing as a curriculum item. Maybe it's that somebody who's ham-fisted and doesn't realize that the last thing you want to do is try to deny parents access. Yeah, because a school or any part of America that won't show what it's doing in its storefront window is something that they have a right to be embarrassed about and probably shouldn't be doing. You were talking about schools being physically unsafe due to COVID. What I think a lot of Americans, maybe we can finish our show on this point when we come back, a lot of Americans I think are thinking is that as much as it's important to open schools for a number of reasons, um, they have learned about the unsafety of these schools from a moral sense, from a pedagogical sense. A lot of parents have seen, have seen what's in those curricula that their kids are getting and they're not liking it. And I think a lot of education opportunities are going to open up as a result or be more uh, in demand as a result of what took place over the past year. I'd love your thoughts on that when we come back. Can I get those? Thank you. We'll be right back. It's a beautiful love song, isn't it? Did you ever sing that to your wife? I could see you doing that. Uh, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Every time I've ever performed uh, on stage, it's always been a character role. Because, okay. <laughs> uh, maybe I can hide myself in the chorus, which I did in a number of places. But You've developed schools. You've built schools. You run and have run schools. Hugh, um, what I said in the last segment, let me make it a little tighter. I believe it's important for schools to open for a number of reasons. In some cases, learning. In a lot of cases, social atmosphere, after-school programs. In other cases, uh, parental needs, quite frankly, just parental needs to have their child out of the house so that they can work. However, over the past year, a lot of parents have had lights uh, uh, shined on what kind of stuff their kids are getting as pedagogical fare in the curriculum and they're finding it, to say the least, wanting. And I have this great dream that after this miserable experience, parents will demand more options, more educational options than the ones they have been given. Am I onto something, or is it a pipe dream? Or am I just wrong in my assessment? Well, first, you're in the state of Arizona, which has done a better job at creating opportunity and options for parents than almost any other place in this country. And as a result, almost any other place on the planet. Uh, Lisa Grand Keegan deserves some of that credit uh, and truly did a remarkable job in creating the concept of charter schools here in a very responsible way. We had some trouble. But you are absolutely on to it that there is nothing better for the choice movement than to have parents of a million students watching their students participate in classes and see what they are doing on a daily basis. Most parents have not had that kind of time energy uh, or ability. And now we've had an experiment go on where parents have gotten to see what is going on in the classroom by wire. Their child has been sitting in front of a computer screen participating by Zoom. And that opportunity for parents will open many, many eyes, has opened many eyes, and I think will open many, many doors and opportunities for students in the future. But we better get moving pretty fast because the the impact we've had on students' education in this state and around this country has devastated a generation of kids, and we will have a hard time making up for that experience. Yes, we will. Hugh Hallman, as always, God bless you, God love you. Everyone else, God bless you and God love you. And until tomorrow, class dismissed.